you have your Bibles, please open them and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read to you the first six verses. I'm talking to you today about how to encourage yourself in the Lord. So the Bible says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag, on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken, Ahinom, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved Every man for his sons and for his daughters. And here's the line. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The first remark that I want to make is to all of you that are in positions of leadership. Something as simple as you're the head of the home. Father, maybe a single parent, maybe a mom. And you're in charge of the house, so you're in a position of responsibility, a position of leadership. Maybe at work you're a boss, and so on. You get the idea. The one trap that you never want to fall into is this one here. Leaders in general throughout history can be at one moment the hero, and at the next moment the dog. David, as we know, is rising to power. He will be the second king of Israel. We've already seen, or at least in his history, we see his exploits and his faith in slaying the giant, which nobody else was willing to go up against. But he had faith in the Lord his God. And so when he returned from battle, this young boy, they were talking about the difference between Saul, who was a warrior in his own right, and David. And the song had this basic theme, Saul killed thousands, David tens of thousands. This, of course, made Saul jealous. And from that day onward, he sought to kill David without good reason, without cause. And so we have it. Life in general brings stress, which we are all aware. And it seems as though in this age and in this hour, it's bringing us a little more stress than we've seen in our own past history, perhaps not world history. However, the Bible does declare that the days preceding the Lord's coming would be so stressful that many would defect from the faith, we've talked about that, and that we would have all types of chaos, not only in the world, but in the professing church. Now, I make a distinction between the professing church and the church of Jesus Christ. Because those who are truly in the Lord and they belong to Christ in the truest sense of the word will find an order exists. They love the Bible, you love the Bible, and prayer and faith and so on. But it's going to be a day, and we see it now, of inordinate amounts of stress. 
Now, I've been saying for many, many years, just my observation, by observing my own health, my own way of thinking, and of course, working with people for 44 years, you get a pretty good idea of what people are about. Stress is affecting us all, and I have long believed and talked to others, mostly in private, that I believe that stress is the number one factor in making people sick or preventing them from getting well. And I could give you personal examples, but I'm just going to give you some generic statements on stress. But before I go there, notice David here is greatly distressed. Now he's already, let's say in military terms, he's already a decorated hero. He's already proved himself on the field of battle. He's already proved that he can go and has gone above and beyond the call of duty. For us, that would be, in America, the Medal of Honor. David has already proved that. Yet, and again, if we were to write the Bible, we don't expect our heroes to be in distress. And oftentimes, perhaps unintentionally, preachers present these figures of the Bible, these patriarchs and prophets, kings and so on. They present them in such a way that they don't have the problems you have. I mean, I know that's not stated, but it's sometimes implied. But these are just people. Well, that's an understatement to say they're just people. They were hand-selected by God to write the words of God, the word of God. But still, they're human beings. And here, we don't expect David, who's already proved himself on the battlefield, to be greatly distressed. And once again, we see him in one moment, which is hyperbolic statement, as the hero. Now, everyone says, kill him, kill him. And if you've been in any position of leadership, you have an idea of how this goes. The truth of it is that when you're in a position of leadership, whether, again, it's at your home or at your job, or for me, it's here in the church and my home and a few other places, you are always responsible, always responsible. In my position, for instance, here as the pastor, anything that goes wrong in this church, I'm ultimately held responsible, and I want to be a responsible leader. And I know, and some of you have been with me on those occasions where Pastor Ray was the hero. He was the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> then next, there's talking about stoning. He got us into this mess. And you have to accept this because human nature is whimsical and capricious. And so you have to chart your course in the Lord to be what you are called to be and disregard what people say. Spurgeon once stated, it didn't matter to him whether people praised him or whether they criticized him because he said, I give both to God. When I am praised, I simply give it to God because to God be the glory. And when I'm criticized, having known that I've done everything that I could to do the right thing, I just give it to God. Either way, it goes to God. Chart your course, be what you're supposed to be, and disregard the opinions of people. Do the right thing, best you know how to do the right thing, and disregard what people have to say. You'll be much happier. And be able to ward off the things I want to talk to you about for a moment now. Stress and distress. Let me give you some technical statements on the subject. First of all, what is stress? Stress, one article states, stress responses are normal reactions to environmental or internal perturbations and can be considered adaptive in nature. Get used to it. 
Distress occurs when stress is severe, prolonged, or both. Now, I know that some of you have been in distress because the stress has been at inordinate amounts and prolonged. And in a moment, I'm going to give you some of the psychological and physiological effects of that. But David here, we read, is greatly distressed. His life was filled with stress, basically from the beginning right down to the end. All types of things that happened to David brought about stress, and on this occasion, distress. This article here states, stress kills you because it damages the heart. And before I read this, I have told people I am totally convinced that what put me on the operating table for open heart surgery almost 13 years ago was stress. It was a year filled with inordinate amounts of prolonged stress. I didn't ever feel in distress, but it was a fight. When I had to continue on every single day and when I had this major thing, this was happening. They're all big. Next thing you know, I have no symptoms at all. Go to the gym every day, do my so-called cardio and lift weights and all this. Not one single symptom. But I had major blockages going on in the left anterior descending artery, one of the main arteries of the heart, known as the Widowmaker. And I was convinced, and people challenged that. But I'm going to say this to you. If after I read to you, you're not convinced, do your own research. And you can start with the American Institute for Stress. You can go to the Mayo Clinic, WebMD, go wherever you want, and you're going to find this to be a fact, that stress can kill you, literally kill you. So it goes on to say this. Over time, the adrenaline released by stress hormones creates a continued state of vigilance with damaging physiological consequences, and I'm going to add psychological as well. Chronic stress is hazardous to health and can lead to early death from heart disease, cancer, and other health problems. Now listen to this. But it turns out it doesn't matter whether the stress comes from major events in life or from minor problems. Both, this article stated, both can be deadly. Now, major stresses we understand, death of a loved one and so on. But for me, I often find this these little stressors that get to me. I'm a bit behind, and I go to tie my shoes. This has happened to me, by the way. And pow, it breaks. And you're looking at your watch, and so on and so forth. And I want to share with you again this axiom of Socrates. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. So that when you come to your end, and you look at everything that you did, at least in the eyes of God, I'd say it this way, it amounted to nothing. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. We understand also the statement, and teachers have done this, because usually they're not very competent teachers. They don't really know what they should do, so they just give you a lot of homework. I mean a ton. And it's called busy work. And it creates stress. And we are not at any loss at all to find so many things causing us stress today. Just do your own research. It's affecting your health. It's affecting your psychological state of mind. It's affecting your life. And we find here one of the great heroes of the Bible, David, who himself is greatly distressed. But we're going to find the answer to that. How he made it through, and not just made it through, crawling on all fours. He made it through and ended his life the way he began it, as a hero of the faith. That's what you're aiming at. Well, that's what you should be aiming at. 
not just a person who just frequents a church building and sits in a seat, but to excel in Christ. And I'm a little reluctant to say excel in life so as not to be in a connection with these messages that are being preached all over America today about, you know, it's all about success. Well, what is success? Who defines success? In my mind, Noah was a success. And the only people that made it into the ark was his own family. And yet, he's named in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hebrews Hall of Faith as a hero of the faith. Though he preached for 100 years, I'm not quite halfway there yet. But I'm getting closer to half of what Noah did for 100 years and not one single convert. And I've said this to you before. How many church growth seminars do you think Noah would be invited to? Come on, next we have Noah. Tell us about your ministry. Well, I've been preaching for 100 years, and it goes on along the preaching of the word of God. And somebody said, well, how big is your church? Well, there's my wife and my three boys and their wives. I mean, everybody's walking out of the place. Because in America, we don't define success God's way. Success, at very minimum, in God's mind, is faithfulness. It's being at your post, doing your duty when you're supposed to. That's success in God's mind. It's never giving up. It's never quitting. It's never giving in. It's studying and studying and reading for my calling, even though maybe no one's listening. God didn't tell me, only preach if they're listening. Only preach if they show up. My calling says, preach. I'll paraphrase it for you. Be ready, in season, out of season. When you have to reprove and rebuke and exhort, do so with all long-suffering and doctrine. That's my call. Success for the Christian must be defined by God himself, not by some CEO of a church. And I'll leave it there. Stress kills you because it damages the heart. That's not all it damages. You may remember the name of Hans Selye. At the early part of the 20th century, he was the one who began to study. He was an endocrinologist. And he was the one who began to see the connections between stress and physical health. He first observed it as a medical student. He was seeing what was happening to people. Well, experiments in the laboratory also with animals. And he was seeing that there was always one common denominator that people who were chronically ill, chronically ill had in common. It was stress. And so he began and he got the ball rolling with his initial work called The Stress of Life. And his theory was this, people must learn how to adapt to the stress in a proper way. And that's what this message is about, how to adapt to the stress. It would be wrong of me to say, today I'm going to tell you how to have a stress-free life. These sell books because the titles are so clever, but they're not true. You cannot live in this life without stress. What you can do is eliminate unnecessary stress, like as I've mentioned before and suggested, toxic people. Now, in the ministry, I deal with toxic people. But my admonishment is that we're going to change that toxicity and turn it into faith. But if they resist that, I pray and I love, but I have nothing else to do because I refuse to have people waste my time and more than that, cause me more stress. Well, Selya believed that the human being could adapt to stress. And when they didn't, it would often cause more chronicity of the illness or even death. Listen to this. Taking this a bit further, chronic stress can raise your blood pressure, 
trigger a heart attack or a stroke. And then this article states this, whether it's work deadlines, debt, or even road rage, we all get stressed from time to time. While for the most, the feeling passes, others become overwhelmed and unable to cope. In the short term, stress can leave us anxious, fearful, and struggling to sleep. You have no idea of the amount of people I meet that will tell me how much trouble they have sleeping. What is the cause of that? If it's not some illness, stress. It's the problems of the days. The body cannot, uh, seemingly cannot, it can. The body cannot seem to rest. You can't shut the mind off. In dealing with stress, this article went on to say, but over time, continuously feeling frazzled could trigger heart attacks, strokes, and even suicidal thoughts. And I'll take it one step further, not just the thought, but the deed. I have nothing to live for. That's just a thought. But people who have taken their lives, and I've known a few, more than a few, and so have you, they came to the place that they truly believed there was nothing to live for anymore. And let me just say this, in Christ, that should never happen, Amen. ever. Amen. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But let's face it, if I were to have you bow your heads, close your eyes, if I was the only one looking around and asked you to raise your hand, if you've ever had a suicidal thought, every single hand in this room would go up. That's just part of human nature and human existence. Accomplishing the deed, well, that comes from a feeling of complete distress. In short, yes, stress can kill you, said Dr. Diana Gall. Though it's not the stressful situations that kill you, it's how you deal with stress that affects your health. Let me just add something in here as a bonus. Studies done at Harvard, particularly by Dr. Herbert Benson, are now showing in this age, how often do we hear, every doctor that I ask when they ask, do they have any questions about the surgery that's coming up, I always have one. Why me? I played by the rules, and every doctor would just say, genetics. Can't pick your father, can't pick your mother. And I, you know, I bought that until I did some more research on my own. You're actually allowed and permitted to do research on your own. Did you realize that? This is still America for the moment, at least. And the more I researched, the more I came up with it. Anybody could find this information I just gave to you. It's not a secret. The more I researched, I stumbled upon these studies at Harvard, Dr. Herbert Benson, that they're now finding something they did not expect. That is that through certain techniques, which are legit, I mean, it's not anti-biblical or mystical or demonic, deep breathing, as I told you, for an example, they're finding that it can actually alter the genetics, something they were not expecting to find. So I say this, if in the world of medicine they can find out what the Word of God says in this little statement that I use so often and have throughout the years, I can do all things through Christ. The problem is, which strengthened me. The problem is, some doctor comes in and says, well, it's this, and well, it's that. And we believe him. And I'm not saying this to diminish the medical field, because I have great respect for them. I really do. However, I will never let anyone tell me something that is going to take the place of my faith in Christ. Maybe everybody else did die. I shall not die, but live and declare the glory of the Lord. Where's your faith at? You know I'm getting older. And they say age is just a number, and I have some doubts about that. 
But I'm not going to give in to the, oh, the day will come you won't be able to walk upstairs. That's for somebody else, not for me. Now, I'll tell you a little secret that nobody knew, a few people know, but I came home from open heart surgery, and I'm telling you this ahead of time. A, don't do this. And B, this goes on the list of the 10 top stupidest things I've ever done in my life. But the way my mind is set, my will is set. I came home, my wife got me situated, and I don't know why nobody else was home. Maybe the kids left, I don't know. It was a Sunday. While you were here worshiping and praying for me, I was at home looking around like this, making sure nobody was home. Just got out of the OR. I mean, just got out of the ICU. I sprinted up the steps. I mean, sprinted. Came down again. I sprinted up the stairs again. I'll show heart disease. Well, what I neglected was all the ribs that have been, the nerves that have been crushed when they opened me up and cracked me like a walnut. I neglected a lot of things. I was in so much incredible pain. So I'll don't do that. Don't do that. That was one of the stupidest things I've ever come up with. But it was on me. In any case, I would advocate the attitude, whether it's towards sickness and disease or the present situation in our country and our affinity to think that we're actually in control of all the things that we do and put your heart and place it on the word of God and believe that you can do all things through Christ. That strengthens you. And there's a day on God's calendar that says this is the day he's taking you home. And when he does, rejoice and be glad. Because it's a victory. Until then, we are in a war. One which God intends that we will win. Or he will win. And we're on his side. Or he's on our side. However you want to look at it. And we're not giving in. And we're not giving up. And we're not going away. Our present country right now in America is in a state of chaos. And it was created by sinful people, not Democrats, not Republicans, and not whoever else is out there. But people who don't know Christ, or at least are not practicing what they say they profess, and they certainly can't possess it. It was created by sin. And the answer is still Jesus. Jesus. Let me go back to my discussion with this patriot, this uh, man. He was a bit sarcastic with me. I took my flag down. I'm taking my flag down. There's all things I'm not going to do. Then I said, then what are you going to do? So I've got a pulpit. But then he went through a whole lot of things with the church, and he was very surprised to say, or to hear me say, rather, I agree. Just that I'm not one of them. Amen. And I don't want to be one of them. This is what we have right here, right here. If men will be filled with the Holy Spirit... And the word of God, this can save America right here. Not Washington, D.C. No. No. And so we are being inundated with stress. And does it surprise you that David would be greatly distressed? Let's look at the Hebrew words here. To be distressed in Hebrew, yotzar means to be pressed and to be constricted. Oddly, it's precisely what happens to your arteries. When you're under a lot of stress, they start to constrict. It isn't surprising to the student of the Bible that David felt this way. He's a human being. But he felt it momentarily, even though I told you his life was a series of stressful events that were prolonged. He could have lived in distress. He could have quit at this moment. He could have became filled with self-pity. I was your hero, and now you treat me like this? Now, I don't know how many of you are like that, but I suggest you quit it. 
Stop grousing. Man, I've had a hard one. And rise to the occasion. And it won't be easy. It won't be easy. It's going to be difficult. I just said the road ahead is going to be difficult. Don't let anybody tell you differently. It's going to be difficult. We're going to have problems and troubles mainly because they're coming from God. And the word I told you in the past, tribulation, thlipsis is the Greek word. It means to be pressured, stress near the coming of Christ. However, we can adapt to the stress. And we can enjoy what is known as stress inoculation. Now, psychology and other studies have different ideas of how this is done. Not all of it is wrong, but I'm going to suggest to you how we do it, or point out, rather, how we do it through Christ. And there are times when you are all alone, and there's nobody around to encourage you. Where is the pastor when you need him? You've asked that question, haven't you? Yeah, you have. Where, where was he? Send me an email and I'll tell you. I like the pastor I know or I've known in the past that says, this congregation, I'm available for you 24-7. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not. <laughs> Definitely not. I'm available for you, but not 24-7. That's unrealistic. Only God is available 24-7. To be in this pressure cooker that we're in right now is both prophesied and also has been a part of life from the beginning. But I think we could safely say it's getting worse from what we understand of Bible prophecy. But then David encourages himself because there wasn't anybody else around. Look at, let's look at all the people, all the same people who were in there chanting, David, he's the man. David, oh, it's all about David. David's the next king. David slew the giant. David, 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 David. Let's kill him. Just stone him. They did the same thing to Moses. Moses was so frustrated, he said, you know, Lord, please... Don't let me be leader over these people anymore. I mean, who am I? I'm not their nurse. I'm not their mother. Remember? And God has a way of not letting you off the hook. He's saying in your ear, you're not quitting. I raised you up for a reason. You're not going to let me down. No, you're going to go. You're going to go before Pharaoh. David encouraged himself because there was nobody else to encourage him. They all wanted to kill him. Now, let's look at this realistically. When you come back, first of all, let's see why he wound up in this situation. David temporarily was helping the Philistines because Saul was out to kill him. Now, that's stressful. When the king wants you dead, you're usually dead. So David is hiding in caves and he's running around. And so temporarily, he joins with the enemies of Israel for the Philistines. And the king accepted him because he knew this was a mighty warrior. And David gave him his reasons. But the men said, we're not taking David. Don't you remember? This is the one they sang about. He's the one that killed Goliath. Goliath had relatives right around there when these soldiers, this band of soldiers. He killed my brother or my cousin or whoever. And plus, how do we know he's not going to turn against us? So the king basically says this, look at I want you, but the guys don't want you. So just go back to Ziklag. Well, that was discouraging enough, but I guess David could handle that. But when they go back, their wives and children are all gone. The wives and their children are all gone. And now his friends, and mark this, his friends, mark it again, his friends are the ones that says, let's kill him. I don't have any tattoos. I don't plan on getting any. But one of my sons showed me a picture of a tattoo. It was a little scroll, about that big, you know, a little scroll. And it had a knife in it, and it said, from your friends. And he said to me, he said, Dad, see this tattoo? You should get one on your back. I said, if I had to get one of them, my back would be covered. I've been undone and betrayed and so unstressed and in distress more from friends than I ever have been from enemies because I expect it from an enemy. 
But even as David will go on to say, but thou, a friend of mine. Well, now his friends are talking about stoning him. And there is nobody left to encourage him. And so you're going to find yourselves in a God-ordained place. God-ordained. That God wants you alone to see what you're going to do when this pressure is on. Because that's the measure of a man or a woman, a person, a human being. That's the measure. It's not who you are when life is comfortable. And it's not what you do when everything's going well. It's how you behave when the pressure's on. And basically, it gets down to this. It gets down to an attitude that says, I don't quit. I don't give in. I don't give up. This is David. And so what did he do? He didn't get into the blame thing. He didn't get into that whiny little thing. You, you people. Yeah. He finds his place, and he starts to encourage himself in the Lord. The Bible doesn't say exactly what he did, but more than likely, he began to rehearse past victories. He began to rehearse the fact that he was selected by Samuel, God, through Samuel, an imposing prophet of the Old Testament, that he would be the king. Whatever he did precisely, we don't exactly know, but we know that he encouraged himself. And you, if you've not been there, are going to come to a place where you're going to be alone. And it may not be physically. You may be trying to explain to people what's going on, and they're just not getting it. But what you may not see is that there's a reason they don't get it, because God doesn't want them to get it, because he wants to keep you alone to see how you're going to respond all by yourself. I hope that you don't see a lot of that. But I am going to tell you that I have. I've been around in situations where nobody knows what I'm talking about. And you go and look in the mirror and you say to yourself, do I even know what I'm talking about? You go back to the scriptures, back to the Bible, and you repeat, and we'll get to this in a second, you repeat what the scripture says. Marcus Aurelius, he said this in his meditations. Remember, Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic and was not a Christian, but this has some merit, I think. The mind adapts and converts to its own purposes the obstacle to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So to cut through all that, what seems to be paradoxical statement is this. And there's a book out by this title borrowed from Marcus Aurelius' statement. The obstacle is the way. While American Christians or whoever else is out there saying, oh, it's going to, and they go to the preachers that say, it's going to be an easy path, don't worry, everything's going to be good, you know, and all that. I'm telling you just the opposite. It is not going to be easy. And now the obstacle becomes the way. Of course we don't want it that way. We don't want all this trouble. We don't want all this that's going on in life and in the world. But now that becomes the way for us. The obstacle now becomes the way. I've brought to you before, but it bears repeating now, I think, Hannibal, in a very curious manner, as Marcus Aurelius, as you may or may not know, was an emperor, but he was also a philosopher. And when Hannibal was going to attack Rome, trying to come through the Alps with his elephants, how many of his engineers said, that can't be done, sir. General, it can't be done. No way it can be done. I'm leaving this outfit. I'm leaving this church. Because the leader down the street says, oh, it can't be done. So we're going to go down the easy way. What did Hannibal say? Ut weum in vadium, ut hakeum. I will either find a way or I will make a way. And we are in a position now that we're going to have to make it work in Christ and rise to the occasion so that stress, which we can't avoid, doesn't become distress 
to start making us sick and ill and throw our minds off and all of that that goes with it. That's the road ahead for us here, not only in America, but across the board in the world. We're up against it, but there is no going back. We go forward in Christ. Let me just one more time give you some of the physical symptoms because I want you to be able to, first of all, recognize distress because many people don't. I'm around people that I know are depressed and they don't know they're depressed. So I just share with them, you're depressed. I told you about the friend of mine, just while I'm doing a military press, in between sets, I said, you're depressed. (laughs) And you're living in the past. (laughs) Because, you know, he was just talking to me. Well, he was complaining to me. Well, I had to just tell him the truth. I don't think I am. I said, you are. I said, you're good at what you do. I'm good at what I do. And you're depressed. And you got to change things. And you got to stop living in the past and talking about what happened 25 years ago. It's a new day. May not be a good day. I'm not joining that crowd. I'm saying we're in a fight. I tease, you know, my buddy back there, my workout partner, former USMC. Marine Corps has a billboard up the street. Marines fight to win. First thought to enter my mind is, is there anybody who fights to lose? I think we need to talk to their advertising person. Men, we're going to train you how to lose in battle. Doesn't even make sense. We've got a lot of Marines sitting around here. Were you trained to lose? Of course you're trained to win. And Jesus doesn't train us to lose. You don't open the Bible and says, now, ladies and gentlemen and followers of me, I'm going to train you how to be a loser. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. doesn't mean we like the way. doesn't mean we would have chosen the way. But it is the way, and it's an obstacle. And now the obstacle becomes the way. The obstacle becomes the way. Let me give you these symptoms. Stress includes low energy, headaches, an upset stomach, including diarrhea, constipation, and or nausea, aches, pains, tense muscles, chest pain, rapid heartbeat, insomnia, frequent colds and infections, loss of sexual desire or ability, and the list goes longer. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't say amen or anything. But did you see something in there that may resemble you? Now, you go in, you get your heart checked as I did. There was something really wrong. But I'm convinced what led up to that was not just genetics, but my inability or my ignorance of handling the stress I was under. And once I see a mistake in my life, doesn't matter what it is, I immediately set out to change it. Immediately. How about distress? Deterioration in physical appearance or personal hygiene. That's depression as well. Excessive fatigue, exhaustion. Well, this one was made for students. Falling asleep in class repeatedly. If you fall asleep when I'm teaching, I will kick you. (laughs) Visible changes in weight, gain or loss. Statements about changes in appetite, or I'm not hungry, I can't sleep, appetite or sleep. Noticeable cuts, bruises or burns, you wouldn't have guessed that one from distress. But the immune system is weakening. Frequent or chronic illness, disorganized speech. I'm thinking of someone right now, but I won't mention him. I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Whatever. Scares me. Disorganized speech, rapid or slurred speech, and confusion. And again, the list goes on. You need to be able to recognize this in yourself. Now, I'm blessed because I've spent most of my life studying this particular subject, so I can recognize discouragement or depression in my own life. Anxiety is kind of easy. And you've got to have a little bit of a knowledge to say to yourself, wow, you know what? I think I'm depressed. But don't let that lead you into more depression or use it as an excuse. 
In a moment, I'm going to tell you in some practical applications to this message how not to be a drone, but I'll save that. you got to have a little bit of expertise. I would suggest you just do a little bit of study. You don't have to do a lot. On stress, distress, depression, anxiety, just look up just a little bit. Spend like one week study it. So that you have a clue that this may be the problem. You have to be able to recognize it so that you understand that what's actually happening to you, you're stressed, distressed, or you're depressed, or discouraged. And many times they all just wrap up into one big ball of wax. Secondly, it's very important that you admit to yourself, I'm depressed. I am distressed. Let me mention to you the word malingerer. What is a malingerer? It's someone who's always making an excuse why they can't work. Now, obviously, in life, there are people who cannot work. But in our society today, because of the inordinate amounts of stress and the symptoms that go with it, ooh, oh, uh, you know, just hand me your wallet because I can't work. Now, I don't know that I was going to say this. I thought about it yesterday, but I'm going to say it now. I don't know if you can guess it or not, but I'm on constant pain. My neck, my lower back, my knees are tender. I just refuse to let the pain control me. And plus, I have you praying for me, so I'm good. If I went on how I feel, I would not be here this morning, constantly. Then, of course, somebody mentioned, well, you're sniffing a lot. Of course I'm sniffling a lot. But I got to be at my post. (laughs) I don't think I can make it. Well, sometimes you can't. Okay, rest is very wise as well. But malingering, that's different. Rise above it. Realize, as Hans Selye and many other experts have discovered, that stress is a common denominator. So is fear, by the way. And there are reasons that you feel the way you do, in addition to a condition that you have, or it may just be that the stress is producing the condition. Either way, you've got to learn how to admit to yourself, this is my real problem. I'm discouraged. The battle has been long. The battle has been hard. And I wish I could say to you, hey, good news, as of April the 11th, 2021, it's all over, it's going to get easy. Amen. But it's not. And what do we say? I give up? Mm -mm, No, sir. Mm -mm, No. But admit to yourself that you're discouraged. Thirdly, when you are in a place of distress, like David was, discouragement, depression, whatever it may be, you've got to learn how to speak God's language. And it's not Hebrew, even though some Hebrew teachers teach that. And some people believe that Hebrew was the original language. I'm just saying that the language God speaks is not Hebrew. The language God speaks is faith. Come with me to Joshua chapter 1. And while you're turning to Joshua chapter 1, have you ever been asked to fill a position that is held by a rather imposing figure? Sometimes this happens in pastorates where the pastor is going to retire And a young guy comes along, and he's wondering how he's going to measure up. Well, in the beginning, he's not. And secondly, he's got to be his own person anyway. But Moses is dead, and Joshua is appointed to take that position. Now, Joshua is an intrepid, redoubtable, formidable individual. But there must have been some intrepidation. Otherwise, God would not have said these words we're about to read to him. And this is what you have to learn how to speak in God's language. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, 
so will I be with thee. Didn't Jesus say to us, I will be with you always? Now you got to believe it. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and have a good courage. For unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. You notice God is repeating himself? And God doesn't repeat himself for no reason. Verily, verily, we see Jesus say this a lot. He's emphasizing something. I'm going to fulfill my promises made thousands of years ago by the time we get to Joshua. I made these promises to your fathers. I will be with you in an identical fashion as I was with Moses. And to apply it now before I forget, Jesus said he would be with us right to the very end. So that means he'd be with us the way he was with the early church. So, let me read it again. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. A third time now God in this ninth verse says. Have not I commanded thee be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid. Because that's the temptation. Neither be thou dismayed. For that's the temptation. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Amen. Thank you, Lord. If all the people in America suddenly turned ungodly and you were the only righteous person left, God will still be with you. Because yeah. yeah. Jonathan, David's friend, Saul's son, said this. Hey, the Lord can save with many with few. Doesn't make a difference to God. This is what we've got to stop looking at all of this with our eyes. And look here. God tells Joshua three times, don't forget. Be strong and be courageous. And don't forget what's written. At that point is the law. Do it. Then you'll be successful or prosperous. Then you're going to have success, which in a great measure he did. Not completely, but he did. And he's filling in some very big sandals. He's got to take the place of Moses. But he did an admirable job. However, let me state that the people were not always so cooperative. And the people they didn't drive out became thorns in their sides. The one thing you let go in your life, that besetting sin, is going to become a thorn in your life. Perhaps an impediment to answered prayer. So you're going to be questioned all the time, how come I don't get answers to prayer and, and what have you. Just the other night, I was praying about something. And I told the Lord, I said, I really don't have faith for this. I really don't. But I'm going to come to you anyway and show I have some faith and ask you for this favor. It was a small favor. Well, it didn't happen. But I already told the Lord I didn't really have faith for it anyway. Then I felt like the Lord was nudging me right before I was about to go to sleep. He says, you're going to give up so soon? <laughs> now, that was no voice. I'm just, that was the impression my spirit was getting. I said, okay, Lord, right before I go to bed, I'm going to ask you just one more time for this little tiny favor. And it was little. The next morning, I got a phone call. And there was on the phone the answer to my prayer, this little prayer. 
Now, there was something else attached to that that I can't talk about because there's a private thing going on between God and myself concerning ministry. However, I was so grateful. I was so thankful because I was very specific with God. Obviously, there wasn't an impediment to prayer that day. And you don't want any impediments. Don't wear your anxiety as a badge of honor. Oh, my mother was nervous and my father was nervous. We're all nervous. You be different. Don't let your genetics dictate to you. Be strong and be courageous. Most of you here know my testimony. You think I started out like this? No, I didn't. And you know how I got here? God heated me and cooled me. He heated me and cooled me. And little by little, he allowed the people to walk away from me. And he said, you're still going to be heated and cooled. And I said, God, I don't want to be heated and cooled. And then God said this to me. And again, it's a private prayer. Over 40 years ago, didn't you ask me for something? Yeah. (laughs) This is the way you get it. All right, Lord, let's get on with it. I mean, if you're going to have to operate on just do it now. Oh, we're going to have to wait six months. I'm going to be sweating six months. I'm not going to be too anxious. Just, Just do it right now. Cut me now. When we go before God and we walk in this world, we must be strong and very courageous. Stop fearing the faces of people. Stop fearing their threats. Jesus told us, do not fear those that can only kill your body. Rather fear him that can destroy your body and your soul. Once you have the fear of the Lord, the other fears dissipate or disappear. Because you have God and you know it. You don't have to walk around as a nervous Nelly. Number one, learn to speak God's language. It's the language of faith. This is how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Speak the language of faith. Repeat God's word. Even if, I just gave you an example. Even when I say to God, look, I really don't have the faith for this, but I got enough courage to come to you and ask for it anyway, and it didn't come true. Then God just says, that's it? You're just going to ask once? I said, okay, I'll ask again. And the next morning, the very next morning, in less than 12 hours, I got a significant answer of prayer to me, validating one more step, that God cannot fail. If he said he would answer prayer, then he will answer prayer. And don't put a but where God puts a period. God will hear our prayers. How do I know that? He said so. I have 44 years of experience. And I'm not going to let my eyes, ears, or my feelings discourage me. Because God never discourages me. Secondly, make your acts, A-C-T-S, as in the book of Acts, become your acts, A-X-E. I spelled it right? A-X-E, thank you. A-C-T-S, the book of Acts becomes your acts. All these clever plans. Look, I've been to all these seminars and talks. I don't recall hearing too, too many preachers say, you need to be filled with God. You need to be studying the Bible and all that. It's always some clever program. That don't work for me. I mean, if it's working, it's God's behind it, fine. It don't work for me. Accommodating people with music doesn't work for me. It's a matter of taste. What works in God's mind is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is to say, as Isaiah said in chapter 6, here, my Lord, send me. Don't say, can you send six other people with me? Because I like being in the crowd and I like the endorsement. Be a man or a woman of God. And realize at times you're going to stand by yourself. You're going to be alone. Or the people that you want to help and you want their empathy and you want their sympathy simply don't understand. Deal with it. Keep moving on. 
Keep being a man or a woman of faith because God does answer prayer. And make your acts, in the book of Acts, become your acts, A-X-E. Let me read you one verse on that. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, listen to this. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They didn't say, and because the apostles were so clever. They were ordinary men. We read this, we know that. Fishermen, even the religious leader says, these men aren't learned. They didn't go to Harvard Theological Seminary. They weren't in our class, were they? Not to my knowledge. They're just dumb fishermen. They may be dumb, but they're getting results. And they're not manipulating people to get results. They're laying their hands on the sick and they're actually recovering. They're preaching the word and the crowds are coming in because God is anointing it. That's God's method. But the book of Acts becomes an X that we use. But you pay a price for that. Well, we'd like to say Jesus paid the price. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. But then he says, come follow me and die to yourself. Now, that's the part we don't like. You say to Jesus, can I just get it at the bookstore? And he says, no, you can't get it at the bookstore. I'm sending you into battle. And he puts his foot in your back. Boom. And there you are. Now you have two choices, do or die. If you're going to murmur, fourthly, murmur God's word. I've been in this position for a long time. You know, pastor, people are talking. <laughs> oh, why well, that supposed to move me? I'm not moved. Yeah. But I am moved when I hear you singing this morning. I'm moved by God's people when they're acting like God's people, but I'm not moved by little weasels. Mm. Beep, 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 beep. If you're going to murmur... Murmur God's word, because that's one of the implications behind the word meditate. You've seen them at the Western Wall, you know, Hannah, she's praying, but the words aren't coming out. That's the kind of murmuring that God listens to. I don't like this manna, this Sunday business. What's the pastor? Every week he puts in a thing, make the Lord's holy day, uh, you know, do what you want. You're going to do it anyway, so I might as well just tell you, do what you want. I will be here. I will be here. And I say, do what you want because you're going to do it anyway. So I might as well just say, just do what you want. But God said many, many things. Do it because the road ahead is going to give us challenges, I think, in my generation at least, we've never seen before. And we must be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not man's might, not your own strength. We have to become tempered steel, that alloy of heated and cooled and heated and cooled. But David says, he teaches my arms to war so that a bar of steel is bent by my hands. You know, even in the natural, the principle of strength training is 90% between your earlobes and 10% strength. I love these guys I meet, these young guys. Some of them are gone juice and it's not Tropicana. <clears throat> They're walking around what we just call show muscle. Wow, look at him. Wow, look at him. Yeah, wow, look at him. Guy at his size should be lifting up the whole building. Then a farmer comes along, you know, some skinny guy. And I watched this on YouTube. I was, I was flabbergasted. He was 90 years old. 90 years old. And he was still in his farmer clothes. 400 pounds. I said, this is great. This is great. This skinny farmer, he don't even have gym clothes on him. That's my kind of man. Not someone who's in the bathroom and he's coming out. Look at him. Look at him. Yeah, okay, now look at him. God doesn't have any steroids. When he has one thing, it's 100% of faith in God. And you will see the power and the strength of God in your life. And I guess when it really gets down to it, that's really all that matters. Let me tell you one last thing and I'll finish. 
and how to encourage yourself in the Lord. <laughs> Don't be a drone. Now, we used to have a couple of honeybee farmers in our church years ago, and they would know much more about this than me, but I know this much about honeybees and drones. Number one, drones don't work. Number two, drones don't have a stinger. And they only exist to copulate with the females and or the queen. And I'm thinking to myself, whether it's by the live stream or the radio or you here, there's probably a man who's saying, I could do that. (laughs) And in America, we got plenty of that. I can't work. All right. And that's why you don't have a stinger. That's why your shark has no clout. And then I'll leave the other part off. You can use your imagination. I can't live this life. That's why I'm going over to the easy church. And I like the music. Do what you want. But that's for me in my house. I mean, the people that come in my door. Outside the door, I don't control them. But when they're in my house, it's, it's God. It's Christ. I had a guy putting in the floor one day for us, my wife and I. And he said, you know, I've laid a lot of floors, but I've never had so much ease with this floor just going along great. So I told him, I said, that's because of my boss. I said, your boss? He's here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the unseen guest and visitor in this house. And he's guiding your hands. Yeah. And you say, do you really? Are you just playing us, Pastor Ray? You're just acting up there. You're just a drama person. No, I actually do think like that. It sounds stupid. I even pray over my clothes. I know that's stupid to you. But that's the way I always look so good. He said pray about everything. Billy, there's something about a man in a uniform. You know that. There's an imposing figure at the door there in the clerk's office. I'm telling you. Frighten the mess out of you when you see him. <laughs> Last thing. Think how the devil is seeing this message in this church right now. Do you think I'm going to have an easy time this week? I won't. But I'm prepared for it. Because whatever he throws at me, including knocking me down on cellar steps, May 2nd is our anniversary. My snowblower and I are going out for dinner. We get back up again. We bulls wobble, but we don't fall down. (laughs) We bless your name, O God. We praise your mighty name. God is great, greatly to be praised. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. So you say you're distressed. Well, you certainly have my empathy and my sympathy, but we don't want to keep you there. You don't want to stay there. You've had a hard life, and I certainly understand that. I definitely understand that. My life has not been easy. But I'm grateful for it because it made me a man. And we're going to pray today that everyone that hears this message or sees this message will be changed today and rise up in power and strength in the Lord. Father God, we come to you. We do not say that the days ahead are going to be easy. They will not be easy. However, we will be able to rise up as any generation has been able to rise up when they had faith in Christ, faith in their God, one true God. And rise up we will, O God. By faith, we will be the church of prayer, house of worship, have a pulpit that's figuratively speaking on fire, and people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, people who become stress inoculated because we've been through this so many times and we're becoming like tempered steel with a little bit of tungsten in it to make it absolutely unbreakable. And we bless you and we praise you. Let everyone who's here today or watching or listening, who's been distressed by the events of the world, the events of their home, the events of their marriage, whatever it may be, be strengthened in the Lord and learn how to encourage themselves in the Lord. Oh God, pour out your spirit one more time. This day, as we're still living and breathing, 
So we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory and we'll give you the honor. For you truly are great, greatly to be praised. Oh, Father, we bless your mighty name. Hallelujah. We prepare ourselves for the battles ahead because the war has already been won and we are more than conquerors. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap offering as we finish. Oh, bless your name. So now, Father, we just ask you to remind us every day of this week to seek you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And remind us to love one another. For by this, men shall know we are your disciples. Bless everyone today on their way home. Give them pleasant day, safe traveling mercies. And we'll give you all the praise, glory, and honor, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Amen.